You're listening to Don't Waste Water. Wallace J. Nichols wrote this book called Blue Mind, a study about why humans are happier, healthier, more productive when they're on, in, near, and around water. Hello, bonjour, and welcome to the Don't Waste Water podcast. Often the people impacted by water are not the ones that put PFAS in the water or put heavy metals from a lead battery plant. We know the negative impact of drinking water uh, that has a lot of heavy minerals in it over a period of time at a young age. And what does that mean for your heart health as you develop? I'm your host, Antoine Valter, and in today's episode, I'm pleased to welcome Kevin Sofen as my guest. I love the SDGs and it's one, the connection of no poverty in water, two, zero hunger in water, three, quality health in water, and then four, quality education. And under all of those is access to safe water. Kevin is Director of Innovation at WS Dali, but also a repeat podcast host with the Smart Firefighting Podcast and the SDG Talks, a social entrepreneur with Responsible, an adjunct professor at DePaul University, a multiple board member, and a talent at Unleash. And if you wonder how he packs all of this in one life, don't worry, I wonder too. I love learning and facilitating and fundraising and creating impact around water. The SDG Talks podcast highlights change makers and their work towards the UN SDGs with a sound passion for highlighting people and organizations that will transform the world into a better place for everyone. To me, teamwork is the beauty of our sport. Where you have five acting as one, you become selfless. That's not from me, it's a quote from Coach K, the legendary three-times basketball Olympic champion, five-times NCAA winner and Hall of Famer. Why do I talk about basketball? Well, because among all Kevin's activities, he's rolling out a coaching program that enforces people's ownership and intentionality towards their water. I'll let him expand on it in a minute, but beyond the anecdote, the key message here to me is that change is a process. No one can fully undergo alone, and if we want to change the world for the better, we need to team up, build upon each other's strength, and get inspiration from proven best practices. So Kevin sharing two hands full of his volunteering, activist, associative, business-related or entrepreneurial experiences is like a mini masterclass and a powerful refuel on inspiration. I bet that in some minutes you'll start seeing SDGs differently, starting with all the ones that are not number six. And if I further zoom out, you may look at water with a different eye. But without further teasing, I'll let you dive into my conversation with Kevin right after reminding you that if you like what you hear, please, and I can't stress that enough, share it around you. Grab your friends' phones and subscribe them to the podcast. Recommend your favorite episode to a colleague or tell the word with a LinkedIn post. And of course, if there's anything you don't like about the podcast, come tell me. I'm doing my best to better that content one episode at a time. Come on, do it, and I'll meet you on the other side. You're listening to Don't Waste Water, the podcast that helps water professionals to improve their wastewater treatment, optimize their operation costs, and keep up with the latest market trends. This podcast is brought to you by GF Piping Systems. As a leading supplier of piping systems made of plastics and metal, GF Piping Systems is the global expert for the safe and reliable transportation of water, chemicals, and gas. 
For more information, visit gfps.com. Hi, Kevin. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me here. It's great to be here. Well, actually, I have a fellow podcaster on that microphone. That's quite impressive for me. Podcasters supporting fellow podcasters. Gotta love it. <laughs> Let me start with a simple question. We are at an event called Rethinking Water. What's to rethink in water? I started a podcast in 2017 or so called Rethinking H2O. And I got the idea of rethinking water from a water engineer I met named Jack Barker. And he was always thinking about water in different ways, about how to take pumps or different components and be able to just move water and treat water more effectively. And so it always got me thinking about water so interconnected and there's so many ways that we can move water more effectively, how we can interact with water more effectively. And one of my guiding North Stars is, I don't know if you ever heard the author named Wallace J. Nichols, but he wrote this book called Blue Mind, the study about why humans are happier, healthier, more productive when they're on, in, near and around water. I kind of look at water for more of kind of the human connection, mm -hmm. kind of even spiritual livelihood connection. Rethinking the way that we wake up and interact with water to have the way that we test water, the way that we use water for water therapy and experiencing kayaking or fishing. I guess to be being mindful of like how you wake up and interact and use water in the thousand which ways that we all happen to do. It's quite funny you mentioned that aspect of water because it's a topic I've covered on that microphone with Michael Stanley Gallisdorfer and we were exploring some case studies about, mm -hmm. you have the Chongyu Chong in in, uh, in Seoul where they reopened a water stream and it increased the overall health and joy of people. But that's the hard to quantify aspect of water. There are studies who show that you have $4 which you get out of $1 investment in water when you do so. Others say five to one, others say it's impossible to quantify. So when you're climbing, let's say the water Everest and you're going through that side, isn't it somehow the North Face? Just to your point of it's hard to quantify. I remember this the conversation about people wanting to open more golf courses in Arizona and tap into Lake Michigan water because water sitting in Lake Michigan was just an untapped economic good. But actually there's a huge economic good of just a healthy functioning watershed. We're thinking about not only what it provides to healthy fisheries and an ecosystem that's alive that people want to then spend tourism dollars at to go kayaking on, to do all the things that a healthy watershed does. And it's like, how do you even price that? It's priceless. But it is tough when you're looking at investor dollars and the way stuff is funded these days via grants or, or different private equity type investment dollars. What is the price of a functioning watershed for all the different purposes? We have to think about How can we design systems and livelihoods to where humans aren't only just taking water, but finding ways to, it's kind of the indigenous mindset of necessarily taking more than you give. Thinking like smart farming, like don't take all the crop and allow the soil to properly regenerate in different ways. And I'm not a farmer by any means, but I know that's uh, ingrained and in just not taking more than you give. You mentioned Rethinking H2O. Your other podcast is the SDG Talks, right? Yeah. And you have an interesting way to look at the intersection of water with the SDGs. You go beyond just the usual suspect of SDG 6. And if I'm right, you even say SDG 6 is probably not the right bucket to look for water. I'm glad that it's one of the buckets for sure. <laughs> and I love the SDGs. And if any of you look at them, it's all these beautiful colors that kind of try and put together and paint a picture of all these significant problems, not problems, just challenges that we face. And we talked yesterday in the panel about one, the connection of no poverty in water, two, zero hunger in water, three, quality health in water, and then four, quality education. And under all of those is access to safe water or with no poverty of thinking about the floods in, that's been going on in India and Pakistan and thinking about building water resiliency about 
being able to more quickly respond to a shock and get back to economic activities for people that are living on one to five to ten dollars a day. Water being a direct link to SDG one to then talking about SDG two of we have seven point five billion people now to struggle to feed them. What happens in twenty fifty when there's nine billion people and how are we going to feed the world with the amount of water resources that we have. Three was, um, I'm not a scientist by any means, but know the negative impact of drinking water uh, that has a lot of heavy minerals in it over a period of time at a young age. And what does that mean for your heart health as you develop? And then four with quality education of thinking about how can you go to school? And if you're a, a young girl going through menstruation, going through your period, what happens when you're at school? If you don't have access to sanitation, you stay home for a, a couple of days a week and then you drop out of school. So there's just that interconnection that I think it's important for everyone just to be aware of, to bring it up in conversation, to be mindful of it. I thought it was a really fun, lively conversation yesterday. And I think good health in the interlap of water, I think, generated some of the best, lively, active, good civil discourse amongst people in the room. You mentioned how it's important to bring it into the conversation. Mm -hmm. Isn't it a bit tricky sometimes? Because when you go to climate change, there's a big keyword, which is zero carbon. And that is a target everybody goes after. In water, people have been striving to find something for SDG 6, which has been proposed to be close the gap or water for all. And now you're saying maybe we should look at water in many further places. Mm -hmm. How do you bring that message across? Yeah, I work very closely with John Robinson from Mazarin Ventures on this, but the concept of climate adaption, where it's not necessarily saying we lost the war on, on carbon. We still need to focus on decar. We still need to focus on energy efficiency, but we also should think about the next one to 30 years, short, medium-term solutions about shoring up different road infrastructure to be able to better let water seep through, doing different things that shore up shorelines to prevent erosion. What are all these different adaption technologies that we can do from a flood monitoring and, and drought monitoring and better response? It's not a world of or, it should be a world of and. We need to do both. And I just heard about some $50 billion in the Bipartisan Act and then some other $250 billion with this something with the Inflation Reduction Act and something else. And I was just hearing these numbers and mind boggling. How are we going to efficiently and equitably deploy these funds. And no doubt, big infrastructure is important, but as I've seen being in the weeds for the past six years doing grassroots water projects in Flint, Michigan, Navajo Nation, Tanzania, you really gotta get on the ground and understand the local context. Yesterday in the conversation, we brought up ethnography and really thinking about what are the local nuances. Not all watersheds share the same economic regions and how those don't always match up and how that impacts rural and urban water negotiations. Just like all these different nuances that make it a challenge and just things that we need to be aware of and talk about. You mentioned the work you're doing with John Robinson, mm -hmm. which was a cool guest on that microphone a while ago. Mm -hmm. If I'm right, you also do work on water quality with him. So mm -hmm. what is that all about? Well, they work very closely with a company called Simple Lab, Johnny Pujol, really brilliant CEO has kind of made water quality testing very easy and accessible. Anyone can order a water quality test, ship to their home with the return label on it. You fill it up, you ship it off, it goes to a vetted third party lab, and then you get a, a water quality report that tells you whether it's good or bad, kind of give you like a grade in school. Is that like similar to what 120 Water does? I know they, they are similar and I know they kind of have different niches and nuances and I know there's a place for both of them, but I know Megan as well is just like a rock star and doing amazing things with water. But the idea of giving us actionable insights about our water quality and what's in our water. And now I've worked and actually on a project in Flint, Michigan with a charity called the National Clean Water Collective. We 
are creating a heat map where we did 100 samples throughout the city where we're then going to use that data to talk about what are some of the water quality implications, what are some of the water quality challenges throughout Flint. And we just got some of the results back and seeing high tri trihalomethylene, some high hydrochloroforms, trace amounts of Legionnaire, some, you know, average aspects of lead. And this is just the data. And now we want to take this data and put it into a format that allows us just to have a conversation. I know it's a fine line that we're walking in that. The last thing we want to do is demonize anyone. We want to put third-party facts on the table to talk about now that we know the water quality metrics, not just lead and copper, what should we do about this? And even inside there, they talked about the water quality contaminant problems that we have. Yesterday, talking about blue black chemistry and what we've put in our water and often the people impacted by water are not the ones that put PFAS in the water or put heavy metals from a lead battery plant. So all that considered, John and I have then talked about there's a challenge with understanding water quality and there's a lack of a voice for water quality. So we've been working on this identity called Coach the Otter. Coach is like tough love. I think like Coach K or John Wooden, Pat Summit, some of these hard, stern coaches that love you, but also are going to be tough on you and not just let you pass by. The idea is that Coach has these five principles, first one being know where your water comes from and whether it's a well water or it's a city water. Second, test your water. And that's something that we've been working on in terms of being able to get that baseline. And we just did this in Flynn and now trying to use Coach as a messenger to have conversations and learn and engage about water quality and different aspects of water quality. Let me make sure I understand that one, which means that you intend the people out there, everybody, to know where the water comes from and to actively tested so that they take ownership over the water quality. Absolutely. And I mean, you can sit and trust the water utility, which the water utilities do make sure that the water when it leaves the plant is good. But there are challenges with the water pipes and water distributions and things that we've seen in Jackson and Flint that have caused room to lack of trust. Having the ability to test and know your own water quality is something that is made very easy now with these kind of decentralized water tests. Do you have an example of a rollout, something which would be more in the daily lives? Yeah, so I mean, both they talked about in Flint, but same in, in a city like Jackson of being able to do a water quality test rollout and being able to aggregate that data and create a kind of a centralized platform that allows you to see and have conversations about what the problems are and what we can do from long-term replacing all the pipes to what we can explore short-term, medium-term to doing point of entry filtration that removes trihalomethane or that removes chloroform or that removes some of the lead. And then ideally just use that water quality data to drive cost-effective short, medium, and long-term solutions. And why testing and not analyzing, having something in line or a sensor? I think all those are important. I know, again, not being a water true engineer scientist, I know that taking that water quality sample and doing it on site, you don't get the full parameters and metrics that you would get from a true lab that has the testing equipment and the infrastructure. So I think it's always good to get a test once a day, once a week, once a month, however often you need from a third party lab. But then in addition to that, yeah, there's some of the inline stuff that I know gives good insights, can give you kind of like a green light on, especially for like hardness and things like that, but both should be used in different capacities. If you have some time on your trip back to Chicago, right? Yeah. Listen to my interview with Mina Senkaran from Kitas. They market an analyzer which is looking exactly at those drinking water quality parameters, but also going to heavy metals and a bit more in-depth on the long term. It might be a solution for exactly what you're trying to address here. Yeah, I would love nothing more to learn more about that and <laughs> see how it fits into this whole greater program of allowing people to understand water quality and being able to take action to do something about it. I have a last question for you, which is what you drive, because we covered your podcast activity, we covered what you're doing with Mazarin, and that's still not your main job, if I'm right. Correct. So how do you fit everything within <laughs> yeah. a day? I actually brought one of these stickers. I brought them for, really, one for John, 
who happens not to be too far, but one for you. I'm, a, I'm on the board of directors for Keep Elkhart Blue, and this is a lake that I've spent my entire life on, and it's a place I cherish. Third deepest lake in Wisconsin, Glacial Lake, extremely clean. And this is my North Star of doing everything possible to continue to maintain and protect that ecosystem and that watershed. And I love learning and facilitating and fundraising and creating impact around water and really have this tie to Blue Mind. One, I want to give you one of these stickers. Feel free to, to do as Thanks. you wish with the Keep Elkhart Blue. For the muggle and French in me, where is that? It is in the middle of America, in about an hour north of Milwaukee, called okay. Elkhart Lake. So there's also a racetrack there called Road America. Very fun, beautiful, amazing lake. That's what I work on. And you know, my day job working with W.S. Starling Company, who's actively involved with water and disaster response. I work a lot with virtual reality training, different robots for public safety. I have a second podcast called smartfirefighting.com. So you stopped the reimagining H2O? I, I converted rethinking H2O into SDG talks. Okay. And so that's sort of my all things sustainability, social impact. Then on the other side, smartfirefighting.com is all about bringing together firefighters to the, so the end users, to entrepreneurs, established companies, and then institutional players to talk about bringing technology into public safety. Amazing. Yeah. Well, to round off these interviews, I have a short list of rapid fire questions, shorter than the usual because it's yeah. a short format here. <laughs> My first would be, what's the most exciting project you've been working on and why? Kind of alluded to it earlier, but the idea of right now in Flint, in Jackson, of being able to create a heat map with water quality tests that are distributed around the city to be able to get insights about what's in the water and then figure out how we can deploy short, medium and long-term solutions with additional packaged water like water in the box to point of entry water systems to fixing different plumbing and piping within the building to point of use to ongoing water testing to ongoing water education it's not expensive to do that and we can do a home for that model for three four thousand dollars per home and turn it into a very effective short medium term solution until the long-term billion dollar solutions eventually kick in. What's the trend to watch out for in the water sector? Decentralization. Decentralized pumps, decentralized treatment, decentralized power generation. It gives resiliency as you see Puerto Rico getting crushed again and not having that decentralized nature and then just being able to not have it be so big. You're so you know worried about there's the cost of upkeep and maintenance and there are a lot of efficient small-scale bro, small-scale power generation, small-scale everything so decentralization what is the thing you're doing in your job today that you will definitely not be doing in 10 years i definitely know with kind of being an entrepreneur you always got to be in the dirt and get your hands dirty i don't particularly love doing aspects of service and like fixing a pump or fixing a vr system that i'd rather have someone do i guess it would be great to not have to email I would love to just like eliminate email from my life and just only do WhatsApp direct messaging and audio. Yeah, I feel like email is the pseudo bane of my existence and I can't wait till you get away from email. Well, Kevin, it's been a pleasure. I can tell you've done that before, so. <laughs> yeah, well, it's really been a pleasure. Thank you very much. And you have a great presence and cadence and overall aura. And I wish you many reviews, downloads, listens on your podcast and just keep going. Thanks a lot. This is it for another episode of the Don't Waste Water podcast. I'd like to hand out a special thanks to Science Water for enabling it. And if you enjoyed it, make sure to give it a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. I don't know if I deserve five stars, but my guest surely does. Do it now, tell it to your friends, and I'll be back very soon with the next interview.